Shalom. This is Gary Duroshinsky, Congregational Leader of Beth Ariel Messianic Congregation. Thank you for downloading our message. We're delighted to make it available to you through the generous donations of our members and friends at Beth Ariel. We know that many are struggling financially because of the challenges facing our economy, and we do not want financial issues to keep anyone from enjoying our teachings. So please continue to listen in as often as you like. But if our presentations have been beneficial to you, and you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Also, please remember to pray for us that we would be responsive to the Lord's guidance as we reach out to the lost sheep of the House of Israel in the greater Los Angeles area. Thank you, and I hope you enjoyed this message. But this morning, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the Brit Hadashah, the New Covenant Scriptures, to the Gospel of Matthew and Chapter 2. Last Sunday, I think it was Sunday evening, Mary Lou and I had the opportunity to go with Emma to uh, a church on the way. And uh, I had not been there before. This is the first time that I went into their sanctuary. I had a chance to meet Dr. Hayford. You know, I've read a number of his books. Everybody's familiar with him. I had a chance to meet him. Uh, loves the Jewish people. He was so glad to meet me. I said, meet me. I'm so glad to meet you, you know. And uh, it, was just, it was just a great, great time. And they had a fellow there that did some music, a guy named Matt, Matthew Grant. And the uh, new pastor over there mentioned that he had just been signed up for a recording contract. So look for his music. He loves the Lord. What a great piano player. What a voice. He was just, he, you know, he had this kind of like R&B soul gospel-y thing happen. And he was just great. And during the portion of his singing, he made reference to something I wanted to share with you, and he sort of prompted it in me as I was thinking about this, but he made reference to the Magi coming from the East to uh, see Messiah. And he mentioned that after he came, and after they came and saw Messiah, it says in the text that because of the threats by Herod, that they left going another way. And of course, what is meant is that they took a different route back than they had used coming to Israel. That makes sense, right? But he drew the idea, and I kind of liked it, he drew the idea that when you come and meet Messiah, when you come and worship him, you can't go back the same way you came. I thought, I mean, that's a preacher, right? That's, 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 That's preaching. You know, that's not my style. I'm a teacher. I say, what? You know, what? But I really like the idea because it's very true, isn't it? I mean, when you meet Messiah, if you've really met Messiah, you cannot be the same person you were. You're now worshiping the God of the universe. You're now bowing before him. You're now seeking to do his will. And, you know, for me, when I first came to faith, when I was 17 years old, I mean, I was going in one direction. Then when I found myself in the hands of the Lord and the Messiah reigning in my heart, I said, I can't play my instruments for that stuff anymore, although I still like that music, but I want to utilize my talents for him. I don't want to behave the way I behaved. I don't want to do the same thing. You know, your life gets changed. And it, you know, sometimes it's like this. 
You know, it's like that. And sometimes it's sort of a gradual up and down sort of thing with a general trajectory going north, going up. But however it happens, once you meet him, once you encounter him, once you visit with him, and more importantly, like the Magi, once you worship him, I mean, truly worship him, you don't go back the way you came. You may struggle with some of those things, but you never remain there because God's hand is upon you. So I thought I wanted to look at this section again. And I learned something that I had never taken real notice of before until reading about this passage. And in one sense, that's always a joy to me. In another sense, it's always like, what was wrong with me that I never saw that before, you know? I mean, how many times do I have to read this passage? And it's like every year you read these passages. And for how many years? And you read them at other times. And then you come back and say, well, I never noticed that. How is that possible? Well, uh, God sometimes, you know, brings things to our attention. But if I could, let me just read uh, some of these passages or this section for you. It says in chapter 2, Now after Messiah was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, magi, wise men. I think that's a good translation. Oftentimes this Greek word is associated with the Hebrew word hachma, which is the word for wisdom. And being wise. And so these wise men, and, and it just doesn't mean individuals that are knowledgeable. But probably it related to these folks coming from the east who are somehow stooped. Is that the right word? Steeped? Steeped. Steeped in uh, things like astrology, astronomy, soothsaying, perhaps to some degree uh, insightful analysis, counsel. This word is, or similar words are used regarding those kinds of wise men used in the book of Daniel. And Daniel was brought in among such ones as a man of God. And one whom God had revealed the revelation of the meaning of Nebuchadnezzar's dreams, for example. And so these magi are coming from these, these wise individuals. Notice, however, they are not kings. Okay, they are wise, insightful ones. And as much as I enjoy, you know, the uh, Christmas carol, these three kings of Orient are, well, they weren't kings. We don't know how many there are. It's plural, so there could have been as few as two or as many as a hundred. We don't know how many came. And they didn't really come from the Orient if we think of that as Asia, but they came from Babylon, modern-day Iraq, from the east. But all of that is really not to the point. It says that these wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, and they were saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, or from the east, and have come to worship him. Now, this is interesting to me as well. This is something I had not noticed, not the thing I really want to bring out later, but something I had not noticed. I always thought that these magi came to Jerusalem. They inquired of the religious leaders, the priests or the uh, teachers of the law, to ask, where is the Messiah to be born? But if you read that passage a little slower, it doesn't say that. It says they came to Jerusalem and they began to ask, where is he who is born king of the Jews? They're asking the people. They're just talking to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they're expecting that because this is their king, they ought to have been looking for him. For after all, he's not our king. We're not Jews. 
he's the king of the Jews. So if there are Jews that are going to be looking for their king, must be Jerusalem because that's the capital of Israel. That's where the king would reign from. So the inhabitants, the subjects, the people, they should be looking for him. I mean, if we're looking for him, certainly his people should be looking for him. So they're asking around and it appears that the answer they're getting is, we don't know. Because they never get the answer from them. In fact, what happens is that rumors are circulating. That there are some ones here from the east, how many they are, we don't know. But there are a number of these men from the east who are counselor types, who are astronomer types, who are ones claiming to have seen the star of Messiah. And rumors are circulating and it comes to the attention of Herod the Great. And once Herod hears this, and he was a, uh, a very, he was a tyrannical ruler, and he was a paranoid ruler, so that when he heard these rumors, it is he who sends for the Magi. And it is he who gets the priests to come into the same meeting with the, with the Magi in order to answer their question. Because he wants to know where this king is born. Because he wants to make sure he never threatens his place on the throne. I never saw that before. I always thought they came, went to Jerusalem, went to the priests. They told them and then Herod finds out and Herod is told. But it doesn't seem to have been that way. And what they say is we saw his star. Now the Greek word here for star simply means burning object. It doesn't mean a star like we think of stars or necessarily like we think of stars. Those things we see in the sky at night. We know it's different because, number one, it is his star. It's something that belongs to him. All the stars belong to him. But this is a unique burning object that is particularly related to him. And this star is different than all the other stars, because it appears and then it disappears. It appears, obviously, because they say they saw it and they followed it. And when they get to Jerusalem, how come they're not moving to wherever the one that the star belongs to is moving to? Because the star is not appearing now. For some reason, they are left in Jerusalem. The star is not appearing or the burning object they can't see. It's not leading them. So now they have to ask, where do we go from here? And once they find out they're to go to Bethlehem, the star or the burning object reappears to bring them to that place. So this is a unique star. It is uniquely his star. It is a star that appears or a burning object that appears and disappears. It's also a burning object that moves. And it moves in weird directions. Because it moved south to north. Because if the Magi come from the east, if this is Israel, this is the Mediterranean Sea, if this is Israel and this is the east, well, they don't just travel directly in line with the land of Israel because this is all desert. They have to follow the routes that go along where there's water. And so the Fertile Crescent is so called because the Tigris River flow, or the Euphrates flows south to north. And as they head north following the star, they're staying in route where the water is 
prevalent. And then it leads them south to come into Israel. So this burning object moves, and it moves south to north, and then north to south. And then further from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. So it's his star. It's a star that appears and disappears. It's a burning object that moves in different directions. And then it's a burning object that stands still. Because when it gets to the place where Messiah is, it hovers over the house. Notice that he's not in a manger. He's not in a cave. He's now in a home. So by this point, they have settled in the city of Bethlehem. They've settled in the city or village of Bethlehem because this is where Joseph's families, and for that matter, Miriam's, Mary's families are from. They're descendants of the household of David. So they're in David's city in Bethlehem, Ephrata, Bethlehem, Judah. There was a Bethlehem in Zebulun, but they're not in that Bethlehem. Bethlehem of Zebulun is up north, Galilee. But the Bethlehem of Judah and Ephratah is in the south. And so now the burning object has remained stationary over the home. So what is this burning object? Well, I believe this is the Shekinah glory. This is the glory of God because wherever the Messiah is, that's where the Shekinah glory is. So this is the cloud by day, the pillar of fire, a burning object. By night that led the Jewish people out of Egypt out through the wilderness to the promised land. This is that burning object that appeared to Abraham. Well, it didn't really appear to Abraham because he was asleep. But you remember when the, um, the Lord makes a covenant with Abraham and Abraham cuts the animals in half and then a pillar of fire appears while Abraham is asleep. That's the Shekinah glory. This is that fire that was in the bush that was burning and was not being consumed that Moses had seen. This is the smoke that filled the temple when Solomon dedicated it to the Lord and the Lord's presence just permeated the temple grounds by means of a smoke that manifested his kavod, his heaviness. That's what kavod means, to be heavy, and we understand it to be his glory. And so when Messiah appears, the Shekinah glory appears. Now, the Shekinah glory, by the way, disappeared from Israel for some 400 years or more. More. 600 years. Because in the book of Ezekiel, we read of the departure of God's glory. And it's found in Ezekiel's chapters 8 through 11. And the theme there is ich kavod, ich to depart. Kavod, glory. The glory has departed. And what Ezekiel sees is the glory of God in the Holy of Holies, moving out from the Holy of Holies into the holy place of the temple, out through the courtyard, out through the beautiful gate, hovers over the mountain east of Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives, and then disappears into the heavens. And what we know is that the Shekinah glory will return to Israel in the very same manner that Messiah will return. Because according to Zechariah the prophet, the Messiah's feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. And there'll be a great earthquake. And because of that earthquake, there will be a pathway that will appear that will lead the Messiah and his people Israel from the Mount of Olives westward into the city of Jerusalem. And that's how we're told the Shekinah glory will return 
to the temple that Messiah will build. And that's why when Messiah was asked, are you the promised one? Are you the Messiah of Israel? He said, yes, I am. And the next time you see me, I will come in the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. Not just glory, but his glory. Because it is his burning object that joins with him. On the Mount of the Transfiguration, you remember? Messiah is transfigured in all of his glory. And a bright cloud overshadows them and says, this is my beloved son, hear him. And when he's on the cross carrying the sins of the people, and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It becomes dark because the Shekinah glory has departed from him. And when he ascends into heaven, you remember the disciples are looking up into heaven and they're saying, what's going on with Messiah? And the angels come, why are you looking up into heaven? Don't you know that the same way that he came, he's going to come back in a visible, uh, historic, real way, literal way? And then it says, and a cloud received him out of their sight. When Paul talks about the coming of Messiah... It says that he will descend from heaven to the clouds of the earth. And there'll be a great shout. And there'll be a command. And there'll be the sound of the shofar. And so the Shekinah glory is wrapped up with the presence of our Messiah. And now that he's born, now that he is present as a man on the earth. Now he's about two years old. Remember, Herod wants to kill all the children in Bethlehem, two years old and younger. Now that he's about two years old, his appearance is on the earth, and the Shekinah glory is now on the move. And he leads these magi from the east to where he is. Now, I haven't continued to read, and that's really been the interest of time, but let me just say a couple of things. I think this is so wonderful that Matthew would depict this, right? Because Matthew is writing to the Jewish people. He's writing that Messiah is the king of the Jews. Remember, that's the first question in the New Testament. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? I remember years ago, one pastor was preaching on this, and he said, what's the first question in the Bible? And the first question is, by God, Adam, where are you? And what's the first question in the New Testament? It's these magi who are asking, where is God? Where is he that's born king of the Jews? And the pastor had said, if you want to find yourself, Adam, where are you? You need to find Messiah. Because he puts it all in, in perspective. When you found Messiah, you find where you are. You know? And when you come to know where you are, it's because you've found where Messiah is. Amen. The two are always kind of connected together. And so what you have in this passage is a focus on the Gentiles as Matthew is writing to the Jews. But, you know, we get this idea because in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The genealogy of Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. By referring to him as the son of David, he's a king. By referring to him as Abraham, he's a Jew. But by referring to him as being a descendant of David, he comes for the Jews because he's Jew, the Jewish king. I have this book on my, on my um, uh, reading table that's called When a Jew Rules the World. And it made me, think of this, made me think of this conversation, this conversation that this Jewish man had. And he was reading some of the, this newspaper that was an anti-Semitic newspaper. And a Jewish man sits down next to him and he said to him, I read this in a paper the other day, and he sits down and he says to him, why are you reading all this anti-Semitic stuff? 
And you see, you know, things that say, oh, the Jews are in control of Hollywood. The Jews are in control of the banks. The Jews are trying to take over the world. And the Jewish man said, well, you know, I thought I'd read about some good news for us for a change. You know. I like to hear that we've got all this control, you know. So. And so when I read this, the, the, when I was given this book, when a Jew rules the world, you know, I thought of that story. But Messiah will rule the world. And so being a son of David focuses to a large degree on his relationship to the Jews. But what's interesting about him being associated with Abraham, certainly his descendant of Abraham, he's a Jew. But the promises to Abraham, you read them over and over. He says that God would bless Abraham. And what does he also say? And he'll bless the nations. He says, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So in a way, the story of the Magi reminds us he's a descendant of Abraham because the descendant of Abraham will not only bring blessing to Abraham's children, but to all the nations of the world. And so you have this account that shows how Messiah's coming brings the blessing of God to all peoples of the world. But all those that recognize him recognize him to be the king of the Jews. This is not unlike Paul. Paul says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, also to the Greek. It's always that way. It is preeminently and first of all, something for the Jews, the son of David. But it is not without relevance and concern for the nations of the world. The promise given to Abraham that all will be blessed in him. So Messiah here is now present. He's like two years old. The Magi make their way over as they're following the, the uh, Shekinah glory. And as they follow the Shekinah glory, bringing them to the Messiah of Israel, they bow down before him and they worship him. And they give him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We don't know what the gifts were really for, but they are very practical. They're all kind of associations. Gold, speaking of his royalty and frankincense, maybe of his uh, deity and the myrrh, uh, which is used for, usually sometimes used for the preparation of a body for the grave, maybe speaking of his humanity. But all of those are very valuable gifts. And in the very least, they will provide for them when they leave Israel and go to Egypt, which will occur in a few sections in in chapter 2 as well. But what I wanted to draw your attention to in light of this are just two final things. The first is the quote that is made by the religious leaders as to the, pre, as to the uh, place where Messiah would be born and where he would be located. So if you would just turn with me just very quickly, just two final things, is to the book of Micah. And Micah, if you have your, the Bibles that are on the um, chairs, you're looking at page 779. <laughs> and the passage here that Micah presents is, But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brethren shall return to the people of Israel. And he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great. 
to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Now, the religious leaders don't read that whole section. They just look at the first part, verse 21. And in verse 21, what's really interesting to me is how precise the prophetic word of God is. You know, there are charlatans that claim to have uh, the ability to see into the future. And generally speaking, there are always generalities that are given and can be interpreted in any number of ways. But what you have here is something very precise. He would be born in Bethlehem of Ephratah, Bethlehem in Judah. It was a very specific moment. And there are other passages we could look at to make it even tighter. We could look at Daniel's prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel in chapter 9, which gives us the precise time when Messiah would appear. We could look at Isaiah chapter 7 to see the miraculous means by which Messiah would be conceived by the Spirit of God in a virgin. We could look at all kinds of passages that narrow the options over time through the prophetic word. Here we're given a narrow, a narrow sort of slip by which we can look at where he would be born. And the prophet tells us, you're to be looking at Bethlehem in Ephratah. And they tell us not only where he would be born, but I love this expression because this word come is the same Hebrew word used twice. From you shall come forth for me, whose coming forth is from of old. See, there's actually two coming forths in Micah's prophetic message. If you look at the first coming forth, it's a coming forth for me who is to be ruler in Israel. This is a coming forth with respect to his humanity. If he's going to be a ruler in Israel, he must be a descendant of David. Therefore, he must be a human being. He must be a man. This speaks of his humanity. But if you look at the second one, this coming forth is a coming forth from of old, from ancient days. Here Micah uses two distinct words. When he says, for example, his coming forth is from of old, he uses the word kedem, which is oftentimes a word used for antiquity, past history. But then he says his coming forth is not only from of old, but it's also from olam. And the word olam is oftentimes translated everlasting. But that word olam sometimes does not mean everlasting in the sense of without beginning or end. Sometimes people's lives are spoken of as being olam, which just means a very long time. But what is interesting about Micah's writing, again, to think of the precision with which he prophesies, Everywhere in the Hebrew scriptures where the words Kedem and Olam are used together, it always means eternity. It always means without beginning or end. When God is so described, he's often described as being Mikedem and Main Olam, from antiquity and from everlasting, which is the Hebrew way, the 
strongest way, the only way they can speak about what we in English speak about as being eternal. And so what Micah is saying, this one would have a earthly coming forth, but he would also have an eternal coming forth. And in both regards, whether it is timely being born on this earth in Bethlehem or eternal coming forth from eternity, it is for the benefit, he's telling us, of Israel. That's why the Magi are asking, not where is he who is born King of Kings and Lord of Lords, although he is. He was born to be King of the Jews. That's his earthly relevancy. But he was also born of eternalness. And I don't know if you say born of it, but coming from eternity. And even in that, he comes for Israel. Why? Because it's the eternal Messiah who appeared to Abraham. When the three men appear to Abraham and one of them he calls the Lord. Because it was the eternal Messiah who before he was born already came to Israel when he wrestled with Jacob all night. And Jacob names the place Peniel, the face of God, the presence of God. Because I wrestled with God all night and I had persevered. And thus God names his name no longer Yaakov, he that acts with the heel. Remember how he was born. But Yisrael. A prince with God. Why? Because Israel already encountered Messiah even before he was born. This is the one who appeared to Moses when he spoke with him from the bush. This is the one who is the captain of the Lord of hosts armies who spoke to Joshua. This is the one who appeared to Manoah and said, you're going to have a son who is Samson. This is the one who has taken Israel out of Egypt and led them into the promised land. This one who comes forth in humanity and comes from all of eternity has come for his people and has been coming for his people and has been providing for his people all of this time. And the day will come, Micah says, and I think this is so incredible. Look at this in verse 3. The day will come when it comes to be that moment when that one who is in labor has given birth That sometime after the coming of Messiah, if with respect to his humanity, there will be a regathering and restoration of the Jewish people, his brethren. And he will bring into their midst his shalom, his peace. That's what he says. And that peace will permeate the ends of the earth. He shall be their peace. So he comes. But he's already been coming, and he's yet going to come again. This is the one who's been with Israel her whole history, and has been the one whom saves her and saves all the nations of the earth. Now, one last thing, and this is the thing that really struck me, I had not noticed before. Because the focus of attention on this whole thing is what? Our Messiah. Now, check this out. And correct me if I'm wrong. You know, I'm not speaking as an authority on this. You check this out and see what you think about this. But take a look at this. It says in chapter 2, verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men, 
and ascertain from them what time the star, the burning object, had appeared. He sent to them Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for what? The child. Now keep that in mind just for a moment. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them. And it brought them to the place where the child, this is the second time, right? Where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced. They were exceedingly great. And going to the house, they saw, here's number three, the child with Mary. And then they bowed down. They worshiped him. Now look at verse 13. Now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And what did he say? Take the child and his mother. And look what it says, verse 14. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night. Then look down around verse 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother. Verse 21. And he rose and he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Egypt. This is my thought. Why didn't it say, take the mother and her child? You know, why does it say, take the child and his mother? You know, it seemed, for the first time for me, it seemed backwards. You know, you take the child and make sure that the mother's taking the child too. You know, I mean, don't you think in terms of the parents of the child who are responsible for the child? So you get the parent and make sure that they take the child with them. But this whole thing is the other way around. It's you take the child and also make sure you get his mother, you know, as well. And so I can't help but just be amazed for me. You know, you could look through and see if it does the thing for you, but amazed by the focus of attention is on Messiah from beginning to end. Nothing wrong with making sure Mary's okay too. But the focus of attention is the child and his mother, not the mother and his child. And so if we want to be in the place where worship is true, like the Magi, if we want to be in the place where our gifts are important and significant and meaningful, like the Magi's. If we want to know direction, you know, know the right way to go, like the wise men that go in another direction, you need to focus on the child. And though he is, in this instance, only a child and no more a child, but we need to focus on him. We need to be worshiping him. We need to be serving him. We need to make sure he is central to whatever we do, whatever we think, however we act. He has got to be the focus of everything that our life revolves around. So wherever you go and with whoever you go with, make sure you take the child and it, you know. That's a little bit more preachy. You know, I was thinking, of, take the child with you. Where you're going and whatever you're going with, make sure Messiah is front and center in all that is done and all that is accomplished and all that is pursued and all that is desired. He must be the desire of our hearts above everything else.
in order for anything else to have any significance, let alone to be in its proper place. So let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for this day. We are grateful for your loving kindness and your grace. Thank you for coming into our world. Thank you for coming in such a way that authenticates who you are. Your glory accompanied you. You fulfilled the word of Micah precisely by coming and being present in that particular village at that particular time. You are the one that our lives are to revolve around. You are the one we ought to seek. You are the one we ought to worship. You are the one we ultimately ought to give all of our gifts and ability and strengths and possessions to. You are the one we ought to follow. And you are the one we ought to hold most dear above all else. We are to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so, Lord, we pray that during this festival season, when we celebrate the birth of Messiah, the incarnation of Messiah, the coming of the eternal Word of God into our world, We, like the Magi, rejoice exceedingly in who you are and what you have accomplished for us. So, Lord, help us to walk in your ways and help us to be a praise to your name. For we pray in the matchless name of Yeshua, Jesus, our Messiah, Lord, Savior, and King. Amen. Thank you for listening to our message. We hope that it serves to encourage you in your walk with the Lord and your service to Him. Do remember us in your prayers, and if you are able to provide a financial donation to Beth Ariel, whether large or small, would you prayerfully consider sending a gift in support of our ministry? You can donate online through our website at bethariel.org. That is spelled B-E-T-H-A-R-I-E-L dot org. Thank you again, and may our Heavenly Father richly bless you as you continue to follow Him. Shalom, shalom.